Welcome to the Orc Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On August 15th, 10 storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Archetype Pizza in downtown York. Our theme this month was warning signs. We heard stories about scary situations, new places and relationships, a highly anticipated celebrity encounter, and of course, stories about warning signs that were summarily ignored. In the end, our winner was Beth, who told a story about the times when everything was fine until she showed up. Pokey got into a polka. I heard my dad's voice yell this as I ran into the house after school one afternoon. I followed it down the steep staircase in our farmhouse. And as I got halfway down, I should have recognized immediately the warning sign because I smelled the sweet, sour, sweet, sour smell. But I wasn't prepared for what was there when I came around the corner because there in the basement was my, my nanny, my grandmother, and my father. And they were bent over a large tin tub that usually held winter potatoes, but now it held Pokey, our dog, and all three of them were covered in red liquid. Just as Pokey saw me, she uh, jumped out of the tub and ran past me and splashed me with tomato juice, and up the stairs she went. My grandmother looked at me, and she stood up, and she said, Bethann, we were doing fine until you got here. And then she winked at me with her double-eyed wink that only she ever did. I looked around, and on the floor of the basement on the cement was about 12 large quart jars, and they were all empty. A couple of them had gotten broken. And all I could remember was my mother, the August before, on the hottest afternoon of the summer, picking and prepping those tomatoes and canning it. And not all that tomato juice would get washed down the drain. Nanny saw me looking and she said, Beth Ann, let's not tell your mom about this until she's home and feeling better. And then she went like this and I tore up the stairs. And as I was chasing Pokey around the living room and around the dining room table, we were slipping and sliding. I laughed for the first time in about five days since my mother's hysterectomy. Because even at 11 years of age, I understood that I would remain her youngest child. 30 years later, the phone rang one early one morning, and all I hear my dad say was, Beth Ann, we think your mother's had a heart attack. How fast can you get here? I tore down 322 to Camp Hill, ran into the Holy Spirit Hospital and into her room. She wasn't there. There was no sign that my mother was alive except for my father who sat in the visitor's chair asleep. He woke up and said, let's get coffee. Downstairs in the cafe, he told me about what had happened that night and early that morning. But all I could focus on was his hands and how old they looked and how there was a large age spot on the back of the right one. But all I could see was 30 years ago when my dad stood up from that tub and he was shirtless and strong and tanned and agile. We went back up to her room and as we went in, I rushed over and gave her a hug, and I bent down. And as I did, we both started to cry. And she whispered, I was fine until you got here, Beth Ann. <laughs> Just last summer on another hot July morning at 5.30, the phone rang. It was my sister-in-law. I tear down 322 East to Perry County from where I'm from. And as I'm gripping the wheel on that familiar road that I've driven way too many times in the last 35 years, 
I look at the back of my own hand, and for the first time, I notice the age spot that is beginning on my own right hand. I rushed into my mom's house. She lived in a little house on the, my brother's big dairy farm. And as soon as I saw her, I knew she wasn't good. She was disheveled and hallucinating and disoriented. And as my brother and I watched the EMTs get her settled onto the gurney, we looked at each other and we knew that once she crossed that threshold, there was no way she could probably return. To return to the farm, the only place she wanted to be. The next morning, armed with two large cups of coffee, I stepped through her doorway in the hospital. My brother David looks at me and stands up, and my mom turns her head, and she sees me and notice, knows who I am for about the first time in about 18 hours. And just as she sees me, her face crumples. I can't handle it. I step back into the hallway. David follows me, and he takes one of the large cups of coffee and he takes a sip, and he curses because it's hot and it burns his lip. And I lean in and I say, how is she now? And he shrugs and he says, well, she was okay until you. I said, I know, until I got here. Beth earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Our second story comes from Swapna, who told us about a time she got caught in the anticipation of a celebrity encounter. So generally speaking, you know, my life is kind of mundane, you know, boring, routine, however you want to phrase it. But it's about to change tonight. You know why? Because I'm going to go watch Indra Nui. She's going to be a keynote speaker at this Lancaster Chamber annual dinner. Apparently, this is a gala. Like, it's attended by, like, dignitaries, like, big people in Lancaster and me. <laughs> so I'm excited. I'm, ex I'm getting dolled up for it, right? So I open my door, and I find the Amazon package. It's there right on time. I open it, and it's this beautiful black silk sari with like gold motifs on it. And I start draping it around, and it's just not going too well. So I open my YouTube, and I put, how to wear a sari for a dummy. <laughs> now. You would think I should know, right? You would think I should know, but I don't. I'm better off just wearing like a little black dress, but I intentionally wear, decide to wear a sari because I want to impress and I want to attract Indra Nui towards me because I'm going to be part of this reception after her speech. So when she approaches, I could, you know, like kind of greet her and namaste, and I could take a selfie with her, right? Now, why is it so important? Because Indra Nui is like, she came to the country like X number of years like I did, but here she is the ex-CEO of Pepsi, okay? And like board of director of like Amazon, and here I am. So I wanna take that selfie. And I've been researching and spending a lot of time, like what question do I want to ask her? That's gonna help the entire womankind, right? So I'm gonna ask her, Indra, how do you leave your crown in the garage? Like you come home. You're not the CEO any longer, right? You're just a wife, just a daughter, just a mom, whatever, you know? How do you change your personality? So I'm reciting all of this as I'm draping that sari. It's kind of okay, I'm satisfied. Then I doll up more with some makeup and 24 karat jewelry. And off I go to the venue, the Marriott, okay? Way ahead of time. 
right? I try to mingle with the dignitaries, not going too well, but then we are thankfully escorted to this great the ballroom and I have a table right next to this stage where she's gonna be standing. I am very sure I have the vantage point. She's gonna notice my sari right from the stage, okay? So we are waiting for her, we are waiting for her, but there is something on the back of my mind that I did that's disturbing me as we, as we wait. Our 17-year-old daughter had called that morning, Mommy, let's go watch Aladdin tonight. Now she's 17 and you know, busy, they are very busy, they don't have time for their mommies. I'm supposed to savor every moment with her because she's going off to college soon. Now this happened four or five years ago. She's done with college by this time. Like uh, Mama Mia is my favorite movie and you know Meryl Streep sings for us, you know, slipping through my fingers, capture every minute. So I'm supposed to do that, but I tell her not a chance, dear. I'm gonna go watch Indra Nui tonight, not Aladdin with you. So that's kind of on my mind as we wait. So we wait, I fix my sari, we wait again, and I recite that question I'm gonna ask her again, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And suddenly they announce, sorry folks, Indra's plane is grounded in New York, she's not gonna be able to come here, like physically. What the heck just happened? What's gonna happen to my Amazon story now? I'm gonna tell her, two-day delivery delivered, she would have wanted to know. After all, she's the board of directors of Amazon. She cares. <laughs> what about that selfie? I was gonna put it on my Facebook and brag about it my entire life. <laughs> and what about the entire womankind that was gonna be helped by the answer Indra would have given to my crown question? None of this has materialized. I just got stood up by none other than Indra Nui, and I'm disappointed. And I come home, I come home, I come home, I go down to the basement, and I find my husband, and I find my, our 17-year daughter, they're watching NBA, and I tell them what happened. My face is kind of sunken, I might even have a couple of tears. And then I notice she is eating those, you know, like the stale, like two, three, like leftover, like cookies from the carton with milk. And it occurs to me, for the last many days, I was so busy with Indra Nui that I had not gone to groceries for her. I had not made fresh guacamole for her for the last many days. She had been quiet for the last many days and I had not noticed. Maybe her calling me that morning was a warning sign. I need you, mommy. Where are you? And suddenly the most healing and medicinal words come my way. It's okay, mommy. Let's go watch Aladdin tomorrow if you, if you are okay with it. At that moment, our daughter and not Indra Nui just made my day. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Helen. Helen shared what she learned while seeking a miracle on a trip to Arizona. I have always believed that I lived a charmed life. And yet, there I was, a middle-aged woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Although the details are interesting, they're not really that important anymore. All you need to know is that it came out of nowhere and I was a total mess. I had clearly lost my way. 
I handled it in a variety of ways, by leaning on my good friends, by not eating and not sleeping, by going to the gym every single morning at 5.45 a.m. for a spin class, and by drinking copious amounts of wine. And I couldn't seem to stay in one place for very long. So when my friend Mary called me up and invited me to come visit her in Sedona, I was tempted. It was February, so not only would I be able to escape a cold and dreary central Pennsylvania winter, which would improve anyone's mood, but Mary is a psychologist, and so in my muddled brain, I envisioned a week-long therapy session. Of course, as soon as I hung up the phone, the very first thing I did was to check in with my travel agent, Google, and I discovered that New Agey Sedona is known to sit on a network of energy vortexes, high concentrations of positive energy deep beneath the Earth. And according to Google, miracles happen there. So I immediately booked my ticket because, honestly, I needed a, a miracle. And I decided that I would try to visit as many of the energy vortexes as I could. And let me just say, if you're out there judging me, which I would totally be doing, if the tables were turned, I do know that the plural of vortex is vortices, but not, <laughs> not, not in Sedona, sorry. So, when I got to Arizona, Mary fed me and took care of me and let me talk as much as I wanted to or not talk at all if that's what I wanted. And being a good friend, she drove me all over the place to as many of the vortexes as we could get to. Airport Mesa, Cathedral Rock, Boynton Canyon. I didn't know what I was looking for, but I knew I had to find it. And I knew that somehow I had to get myself back on track. We had a great time, I started feeling more like myself, but no lightning bolts. I was expecting lightning bolts. I mean, like these are energy vortexes. And before I knew it, the week was almost over and there was just one last vortex left to visit, Bell Rock. When we arrived, we left the car in the parking lot and circled our way up to the base of Bell Rock. Once we got there, Mary left me on my own so that I could focus on my final Sedona quest. This time I had a plan. I am way more woo-woo than I look, and I have attended a lot of yoga and meditation workshops. I'm really good at those imaging exercises, the ones that are supposed to open up your heart to the universe. So I figured now would be a good time to try one out. So I sat down on a rock and I rooted my body to the earth. I closed my eyes and I sent a grounding cord all the way down to the center of a planet. I felt the energy flow from the vortex into the earth, into my body, and into my own energy vortexes, my chakras. I felt it flow from my red root chakra to orange to yellow, to my green heart center where I willed it to expand, then to my throat chakra and to my third eye, until finally I felt it flow out of my crown chakra. I held it there for a moment in a big, beautiful golden ball, and then I let the energy flow down over me, back to the earth and back to the vortex. When I was finished, I felt peaceful and calm and centered, but not really that much different from when I started. But you know, peaceful and calm and centered are not that bad. I could live with that. That could be my new normal. 
About that time, Mary came back, and we headed down the path back to the car. When we were almost to the bottom, I noticed a roped-off area over on the side. It appeared that visitors had been taking a shortcut from the parking lot onto the path, and when they did, they trampled the grass that had been growing there. Now it was being protected so that it could come back to life and begin to grow again. Now, we had passed this very spot on the way up, but I hadn't noticed it. This time, though, it's as if there were a big red flashing arrow with my name on it pointing in that direction. And then I noticed there was a very small warning sign right in the center. And so I leaned in closer so I could get a better look. And there it was, exactly what I had spent a week searching for. I recognized it right away. It was a message just for me from the Vortex by way of the Forest Service. The sign said, healing in progress, please stay on trail. And so that is exactly what I did. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return at the end of the season to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York at our Grand Slam. Updates on our events are available on our website, yorkstorieslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter at at YorkStorySlam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Catherine Roquet. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. <laughs>